Hi, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 1 of My Words, Our Journey. I'm Monty, and today we begin a new novel, Push to Death. Let's begin with Chapter 1. Madison Carver was alone. There was no friends, no family, only four strangers within the small room, each working methodically around her gurney, while two men stood as statues on the other side of the glass. It was clear, even to a woman who had greater concerns, it was their first time. She had noticed them when she was wheeled in only minutes earlier through the only door located in the back of the room. Their last names were Costco and Trammell. There was one more in the trio, the one who declined the invitation, the one with the sad eyes. Surprised by her calm and still proud of what the women had accomplished, she did not regret the events that had brought her to this place and time. On the contrary, if given the chance to speak to women in a similar situation, Madison would plead with them to either get out if they felt they could or fight back the same way they had. Her life was not flashing before her eyes. There was not a long list of what ifs or should have dones, only two questions. Why had she been meant to be with Ryan Tyler Carver and would she see him in hell? Now, as those in the room picked up the pace, she did not have to search for a clock. The midnight hour was upon them. Not wanting to look, Still unable to look away, Madison stared at the tubing that had been placed in her arm at some point without her noticing, and a needle that rests on the shiny tray within her reach. That is, if her arms weren't bound along with the rest of her body. Prayer just did not seem right after all that had happened, but hope had deserted the young woman months ago, and her time left could be counted in seconds. So with all she had, Madison prayed. She prayed first for her soul, then for her newfound friends, and finally for the women left to go through it alone, without the support system she had found through fate, but that was taken from her way too soon. Remembering now what she had written in her journals, she realized it was to some seemed strange when they eventually read her thoughts, fears, dreams, and finally her power trip. One line, especially after the fact, would seem ironic. The women I met on January 13th saved my life, if only for a while. Chapter 2 It was late December, not the best time for a funeral, if there ever was one. The weather, while not pleasant, could have been much, much worse, however. No matter the conditions, Gordonsville was small-town USA. From the small classrooms in the school where many of the children's grandparents attended, to the eight churches that surrounded the town square, to the factory that lay perched on the southern mountain range, and directly or indirectly contributed to most households within the town. It was the image of what most thought of when they pictured a town, small town, in today's America. Marcus Sullivan had been raised only four blocks from the cemetery before he went off to college and later became a well-known author of children's books. The library and the high school football field had been renamed in his honor, or better yet, in the honor of his rather generous donations, and he had even written a couple of short stories that were based in their town. He had been their celebrity. With his untimely death came even more recognition of his humble beginnings and small-town roots. That's why many of the onlookers had ventured out of their homes and into the wintry wind and small-town traffic. Madison and Ryan Carver were among those, enduring the elements to get a glimpse of a celebrity or a chance to be on the evening news. 
It had not been her choice by any means. Ryan had insisted they take in the spectacle, as he put it so eloquently. Now that she was out in the fresh air and surrounded by people, Madison was thankful for the opportunity. It was only on rare occasions that she left the house. Madison, Madison had always loved to watch people. She could pick up on the smallest detail or notice a person's body language and tell their mood. According to Ryan, it was her only real skill, and he hadn't found a way to make any money for that. She had heard him tell many of his buddies when he had been in one of his drunken outbursts. The first time it had hurt, now she was numb to his comments and to most of his actions. Most. As she stood amongst the crowd, Madison sensed Ryan checking out the group of young girls that stood just a couple feet away. Something that would have bothered her early on. Now, numb. Trying to ignore what was now blatantly going on next to her, Madison focused on a young woman up one row and to her right. There was a man standing next to her. She would assume that to be her husband, but he made no effort to help with her, with her to corral the three children that continuously ran in and around her two thin legs. When the woman turned so Madison could see her face, she knew. Instantly she knew and all the strength in her knees vanished, leaving Madison to fall straight down onto the cold and damp pavement. For making a scene, she would pay at home. She always did. That was her last thought as she tumbled, and also the first as she opened her eyes to see her husband leaning into her. In public, he was the caring husband, but as he gripped her arm a little too roughly, helping her to her feet, she knew he would show his dis displeasure at home. Chapter 3. Three weeks later, almost to the day, Madison spotted the young woman from the funeral at the town's winter festival. The shops had left up their Christmas decorations. Nanny's Kitchen was again putting on their fried green tomato eating contest, and the street vendors had taken over much of the main street to show off their wares. It had never made sense to Madison. Money was the tightest around the holidays, but every year you could count on the winter festival. Somewhere, she had heard it was started for those that had the holiday blues. It gave them something to look forward to. To her, it was just another excuse for her husband to drink too much, and he did not need help in that department. She knew Ryan would attend the festival alone each year if he thought he could pull it off. But he also knew, however, that his superiors and co-workers would be around, and he did not want to have to explain why she was not there. They had arrived together, but she would not see him until he was good and ready to, to head home. She would be his driver, and with some luck, he would pass out on the couch downstairs and sleep it off. It was a nice thought. More times than not, however, it didn't end that way. It was rare that she had any fortune pass her way, rare that she gets a moment of peace when Ryan was anywhere around. As she strolled the walk and window shopped, she realized it had been since her birthday back in May, since she had been downtown, minus the funeral. The thought made her sad, and would have caused her to start feeling sorry for herself, if not for the commotion that brought her back to the moment. Madison was astonished as couples passed by, like nothing was going on, many not even glancing in the direction of the obvious abuse the man was inflicting on the young woman, the same woman Madison had noticed at the funeral struggling with the children. Now the children were not present, but the man, that had been standing beside her then, was now screaming and shaking her forward, back and forth, from side to side, 
the woman's poor head moving as if it was broken off of swivel. She knew exactly what the woman was doing, trying not to look directly at him, making no effort to get away or give him any reason to get more upset. Madison knew. Her gut, however, told her he was nowhere near finished. For starters, he was oblivious to the few that had now gathered to watch the attack, and his temper only seemed to heighten with each second, not deflate as the woman would have hoped or expected. Without thinking, Madison found herself stepping up alongside the much larger figure and yelling for him to stop, to walk away and go cool off. Taking the time to check out the entrance to the alleyway, she noticed more had gathered, none making a move to intervene, however. She would have to stand alone in her good Samaritan role. With a barrage of four-letter words, the stranger told Madison and all those that would listen how he felt about her interruption, his wife, and the whole stinking bunch of them. Dragging his wife by the arm, he started to walk back towards the street and the folks that waited. Madison caught the look intended for her from the frightened young woman who could not be more than 25 years old. I can't let you leave here with her. I'm afraid for her safety. Madison was not sure where this was coming from or how her voice sounded after it left her trembling lips. All she knew was she had to speak. Nothing she was doing presently was within her character and totally outside her comfort zone. However, she pushed on. I'll bring her home when she's ready, I promise. In response to her comment, the man laughed and continued on his way. To Madison's surprise, the crowd separated like the Red Sea and intended on letting the abuser exit with his wife in tow. He was tall, broad, and had no trouble maneuvering while controlling the woman at the same time. Still, it was shocking that she had not one supporter in the crowd. Where in our history had we become just observers, she thought. Still not willing to let the situation go in the direction it was headed, she stormed towards the man's back and started screaming with everything she could generate out of her small frame. Doesn't anyone here care what happens to this girl? Does not one of you have the courage to do the right thing? That's when Ryan stepped out of the crowd and began to walk towards his now flustered wife. The stranger must have thought Ryan was going to confront him because he immediately assumed the defensive position, ready and seemingly looking for a fight. That's until Ryan spoke as he made a wide circle around the man's space and commented loudly enough for almost all to hear. Relax, partner. I'm just going to retrieve my lovely wife and remind her to mind her own business. Defeated and broken, Madison was about to give up when she heard the sweetest sound in recent memory. Three ladies stepped out of the crowd, each had cell phone in their hand, threatening to call the police if the women were not given the chance to move away from the two men. With strength, in num- with strength in numbers, Madison made the first move away from her shocked and embarrassed spouse and moved towards the woman she was trying to help. The pair moved towards the three women who now moved forward into the center. Without words, the five embraced and cried. Madison could feel the relief overtake the stranger she had either just saved or destined to a much worse situation later. Only time would tell. The two men involved did not speak, only moved on their own in different directions, not sure how to handle the public display of disobedience. Both, however, would have plenty of ideas on the subject before the night was through. The crowd dis- disappeared, leaving only the five behind, still within their tight circle. The tears were tears of both sorrow and joy for each one involved, fear for the repercussions of the evening's events 
and the tears of joy for the way they had stood up for each other when they had been unable to do so for themselves. After finally breaking the circle, they decided to seek out a hot chocolate vendor and find a warm place to sit. When the introductions were complete, there was a long, almost awkward silence. Finally, the woman who purchased the hot chocolate and had introduced herself as Megan broke the silence. My husband doesn't only hurt me. Now, now he's started in on our 13-year-old son. And I'm afraid. I'm afraid for our safety. Chapter 4. The women had each gone home that night feeling not better about their individual situations, but not as alone. Madison had paid for her outburst. She knew she would. There was never a question. Wright had been waiting on the couch when she arrived home that evening. He had gone through some of her jewelry and had several of her thin, long gold necklaces and a couple of old bracelets she had been given from her mother years ago. I'll be taking these to the place at the corner that buys gold tomorrow. There's a new putter I have my eye on. As he gathered up her belongings and placed them in his pocket, he made a motion like he was going to lean in and slap her. Instead, he turned, laughed, and simply said, This doesn't get you off the hook tonight. Ryan became increasingly critical of Madison over the next few days. And when she tried to defend herself, it only enraged him more. One night, after she made him a nice dinner and was cleaning up the mess, he intentionally bumped her from behind, causing her to drop the dishes she had been moving to the dishwasher, shattering two plates, a water glass, and slinging leftovers on the floor and cabinet doors. He snickered as he left the kitchen and spoke for the last time that evening. I'd better not step on any broken pieces. I'll tell you that. Her problem was she had nowhere to go, no money of her own, and she did not have a credit card, debit card, or anything in her name. No car and no friends. Family was not an option either. Ryan had made sure of that over the years. Neither her sister, who lived only a few miles away, nor her parents had returned her calls or answered her letters in over a year. Her husband had never made it out of the small town, and he would make sure she didn't either. Madison was truly alone. When a night of Ryan's rage ended in Madison locking herself in the bedroom until she heard his car pull out of the garage and onto the street, she had already decided what she must do. Moving throughout the house, she was saddened by how her life had turned out. Passing the hall mirror, she stopped and stared at the shell of the woman staring back at her. At first, it had been gradual, the demeaning comments, the distance between them, and the shortening of his temper. Eventually, it had become a daily, if not hourly, occurrence. If he was not at home, Ryan would take advantage of today's modern technologies. He would text, email, and even voicemail her, just to remind her of what he thought of her wife skills. The prescription label on the bottle was unreadable as she looked down at her left hand. Walking away, she stared at the bottle, her only escape. She knew by the weight there was at least half of the pills remaining. Her physician had warned her to use them sparingly to avoid becoming addicted. There was no question where she would spend her final moments. Her favorite spot in the house was the bay window that looked out over the front yard. Madison had spent hours working in her herb garden and flower beds, caring for the soil, removing the weeds, and relaxing within nature. It would put her at peace. It was a peaceful place. So much she desired to be was a peaceful place. Working the plastic between her fingers, pushing all thoughts not positive out of her head, 
her mind a blank slate, only wanting to explore what waited ahead, what waited beyond. The phone may have rang several times before she actually heard it. Madison was already somewhere else. Not sure even when she had hit the answer button until she heard the unfamiliar female voice on the line. Madison, are you there? Madison, this is Megan. We met a few weeks ago. Madison? Madison was there, and as she listened to the woman on the other end of the phone, she placed the handful of pills back where they had belonged, hid, hid the bottle beneath her sink as she listened to the invitation, instantly getting very nervous. Doing anything behind Ryan's back was dangerous business. With reservations, but no other hope, she agreed to meet for lunch two days later at one of the truck stops just outside of town. And I think that would be a good place to stop and end the episode for today. I hope you enjoyed, and I hope you return for episode two, where we'll see what's in store for Madison. Thank you, and have a great day.